Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, I'm Harriet Minter, and this is The Badass Women's Hour. Welcome to this week's show where we are not discussing the death of Prince Philip, nor are we discussing whether Meghan should or shouldn't attend the funeral. Hurrah, because honestly, I've read too much about it now and I need to give my brain a week off. However, we are revisiting an old interview with the brilliant Carrie-Anne Lloyd, host of Briefcast, to take a wry look at just why as a country we get deaths so wrong. It's more uplifting than it sounds, promise, and I'm also joined by the author Amanda Prowse for that as well, and she's brilliant. And on today's show, I ask whether we should be legally mandating that employees turn their emails off outside of work hours and advise one new dog owner on the realities of having a puppy in your life as we all go back to work. So first up, do we need legislation in order to get us to step away from our laptops? Well, this week, Prospect, a union for engineers, scientists, tech workers, other very clever people, sent a proposal to the UK government requesting an addition to the employment bill, which makes it mandatory for employers to negotiate with staff when they can and cannot be contacted outside of working hours. They've called this the right to disconnect. Now, two things really struck me about this story. The first of all, actually, it might be three. The first of all is that the right to disconnect I mean, we all have a right to leave the office. So if it just so happens that our offices have become our homes and our laptops are the way we go into the office, of course we have a right to disconnect. I mean, I don't know about you, but every employer I've worked for has made me sign one of those forms which says, I'm really happy to work more than 40 hours a week. I don't know if that still happens now that we're out of the EU question. But I still would always feel like I had the right to leave the office. And I've never been somebody who felt like I had to answer my emails. I've worked on projects where I felt very stressed and very pushed and where I have felt pressure, but I've never felt that pressure in a long-term situation. Unlike some of my friends I know who literally have felt like if they don't answer an email immediately, that's it, they're going to lose their job. And I think that's particularly difficult for people who work across different time zones. So certainly when I've had friends who've worked for US companies, they found it particularly hard not to work to US time as well as British time. So we do have a problem with switching off, but we shouldn't have to consider it a right. It is a right. We shouldn't be questioning that. As an employer, you should be really ashamed of yourself if your team feel like they have no right to disconnect. It astonishes me that we have to put that in legislation. 
The other things that occur to me is why as individuals do we find it so hard to step away from our laptops? Now, I'm not saying this is all individual responsibility, right? Absolutely not. I'm sure if you work somewhere like the infamous Goldman Sachs from this week talking about their 90-hour week culture, I'm sure if you work somewhere like that, it must feel like there is huge pressure on you the entire time to respond to every single email that comes in. And if that's the case, I completely understand why you feel like it's really hard to step away. However, the question that I have been asked the most in the last year, and certainly since I've started promoting my book, WFH, How to Build a Career You Love When You're Not in the Office, available from all good booksellers right now. But the question I've been asked the most is, as we've been working from home more, how do I actually put that division between work and home? And I do think that we have to take an element of personal responsibility for this, right? So we have to kind of acknowledge that we are making a choice to keep working if we go beyond a certain number of hours. And for most of us, that choice is not the choice between working for a certain number of hours or being out on the streets with no money and no hope. Now, for some people it is, and we need to be addressing that situation through lots of other means, through employment legislation, through adequate welfare, through affordable housing, et cetera, et cetera. However, most of us have the opportunity to say, do you know what? I'm working for a company that requires me to work 90 hour weeks. I'm not enjoying that. That's not for me. I'm going to go and find another job. So if we are choosing not to, if we're choosing to keep working, even when we know there are other options, we sort of have to ask ourselves, okay, well, why do I find it so hard to close my laptop? And I was actually doing a, I was doing an event last week with the Working Girls Network, lovely. And somebody asked me this exact question. And I said, you know, you kind of have to ask yourself, am I not closing my laptop because I feel like I haven't done a good enough job and I'm worried that if I stop now, people will find that out? Or am I not closing my laptop because I think, oh, it could just be a little bit better. It could just be a little bit better. I could just keep tweaking it and keep making it better. And that I think is the kind of the two reasons that most people don't switch off when they should, because they think either it's not good enough or they think it could be better. And the thing I said to them is, in reality, 90% of the time, probably 95% of the time, it is good enough. If somebody is not literally telling you it's not good enough, then it probably is good enough. And as a society, I think particularly for women, we put a lot of pressure on being not just good enough, but excellent. But we can't all be excellent. We can't all be excellent all the time. It's just not how it works. So I think as humans, what we have to do is remember that actually we probably have the capacity to be excellent kind of 5% of the time. And the other 95% of the time, we can just be good enough. And that's okay. And save that excellence, that energy for when you really need it. Also, I just want to acknowledge that it's much, much harder to stop working when you're in lockdown and there is literally nothing else to do. And that's why I think in the first lockdown, the rise of the happy hour became so prevalent amongst everyone. And we were all drinking at 4.30pm simply because there is nothing else to do. But if you find that this is your working pattern continually, then it's really worth looking at, okay, what am I telling myself about my work here? That means that it's not possible for me to actually just step away from it. And then the final thing is, I don't know where employers have created this culture that says you have to be always on. And I see this the most in industries where they have a kind of strong client focus. So 
the biggest reason that anyone gives me whenever I go into a company and talk to them about their working practices, the biggest reason everyone gives me for not being able to switch off or not having set hours is, oh, well, our clients need us. Our clients need us. And I find this really hilarious because people are essentially saying to me, oh, my clients need me to work at 2am. I'm pretty certain if you send your client that work at 2.30am, they are not replying. So there's a kind of expectation set up here and we have to manage expectations. And this goes for all of us. So as employers, we have to manage expectations with clients and that sits in a place of self-belief. If you genuinely think that you are kind of not very good as a company, but you'll get the work done faster than anybody else, well, then, yeah, you're going to have to work all the hours that God sends. If you know that the work you do is really excellent, but people might have to wait until 10 a.m. the next day for it rather than getting it at 8 a.m., that's okay. And so kind of having a belief in the work you're producing feels like to me something that employers should be really shouting about rather than trying to make it all fit into one tiny piece of time and working their employees to death for it. Of course, actually, what it comes down to on all sides is can we just set boundaries? Can we set boundaries as individuals around the hours we work? Can we set boundaries as employers around the hours we expect our teams to work and that we talk to our clients about? And when I was at this event with the Working Girls Network, somebody put in the chat, because I say at the event, obviously it was on Zoom, somebody put in the chat their kind of email signature, which went, and this is not word for word, but something like this, the company email signature goes, as a company, we really value rest and restore time for our employees. And we know that's how they do their best work. As such, we ask that they do not respond to emails outside of these hours, but we will get back to you as fast as we can within this time. Thank you. And I just thought that was such a lovely way like of saying, actually, this is a company is who we are. These are our values. And this is what you can expect of us. Because when people know what they can expect of us, generally, they are much happier to accept it. It's just when we don't tell them, when we try and hide away from it. So put it in your email signatures and you know that if an employer puts that in their email signature, they are a good person to go and work for. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. And now this week's interview is a replay of a conversation I had with author Amanda Prowse and podcast host Karen Lloyd. She hosts the podcast Griefcast about grief. I'm putting a little content warning here as we do touch on death and the different types of loss we experience. So while it's an uplifting conversation, it might be too much for you if you're feeling a bit over it all right now. If so, do feel free to jump ahead about 20 minutes where you can hear me talk about puppies instead. Carrie Lloyd, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hello. <laughs> you are the host of the Griefcast podcast. Yes. For anyone who's not had the joy of listening to it, tell us a little bit about what it's about. Um, so the Griefcast is a podcast where I interview comedians about, and not always comedians to be fair, all sorts of people about their experiences of grief and death. And we talk for about an hour and we talk just very openly and honestly about everything that happens uh, the weird stuff that happens when people are dying the strange feelings that you have the way that you react after someone's died and just the whole thing and it, it, because I interview comedians we do sort of it is sometimes funny but I would caveat that that people dying is not funny um and the reason I do the show is my dad died when I was 15 so that's why I sort of feel I guess, able to talk honestly about it. But it's the stuff that happens around death that is often weird and odd and you want to laugh and talk about all that other side of it and we feel bad about that. Your, as you said, your dad died when you were 15, mm. so you've had sort of 20 odd years of talking yes. about grief. Do you think that meant that when you came to do the podcast, 
you felt like you'd processed that or has doing the podcast <laughs> helped you? I would have told you when I started. Yes, absolutely. I've definitely processed it. That's partly why I started the show because so we joke in the show that it's called the club. Once you've lost someone, mm-hmm. you join the club. Yeah. So I joined the club very early. And the joke always to say is like, I got to the party really early. I set the nibbles out early. <laughs> and then one by one, people join me and I'm like, hey, how you doing? And I'm ready to have this conversation mm-hmm. with them. So I've been practicing, I guess, those conversations for 20 <clears throat> something years. <laughs> and I would have thought I'd process it. But actually, the process of doing, we're on like episode 87 now, I can't believe how much my grief has changed because in the act of talking about it on a weekly basis to other people, completely honestly, it has, like without sounding as cheesy, it has healed me in a way I never thought I needed because we do not give death the space it deserves in society. Mm. So even though I'm someone who talks about it quite a lot and I had a lot of conversations, I hadn't talked about a lot of aspects of it because I would think, oh, it's probably too much for this person. So when you get in a room with someone else whose dad's died, whose mum's died, who's lost a child, who lost a brother, lost mm. a sister, and you can re- both really honestly talk about it, it it just it, it helps. It helps to have the space to talk about it in a non-judgmental way. Who is the person that you've had on your podcast that you feel their story was maybe the most different from what you were expecting? Actually, this episode um, was really hard for me. It's a a guy called Jason Green, Mm. who is an American writer who wrote a book called Once More We Saw Stars. His two-year-old daughter was killed by a piece of falling masonry, like a Mm. windowsill, and she was with the grandmother. And, yeah, and I mean, even that story in itself is like what it was completely random completely it hit the news you know they were like hiding in hospitals because newspaper reporters were trying to find them so they had to deal with all that then um six months later they his wife got pregnant again they now have another child but they've had to process their grief while becoming parents again and his story was completely so miles away from mine you know I was a teenager whose dad died of cancer like obviously it's rare but it's not completely out you know out of the blue and what happened to Jason was just like he said it's not tragedy because tragedy has a meaning and what happened to him was meaningless Mm. but I was so glad that I spoke to him and you can still find you can still find ways to connect and you can still learn from people whose grief is completely different to you and as we say we joke like you're in the club there's all these different rooms Mm. so like my dad died of pancreatic cancer so if I meet someone who also lost, like we're in a very little corner of the room being like, oh yes, me too. Oh yeah, do you know the statistics are really awful? And he's in a different room with people who've lost children, which is obviously a very, very different pain. But we all essentially understand what it means to have lost someone you've loved. It's interesting, isn't it? How we always just assume grief is a one level thing. Yes, yeah. You know, it's like I've lost someone, I'll be sad and mm. then I'll be okay again, maybe. But a different shape than I was before. Yeah, yeah. And actually everyone's story is so unique. Are you finding you're learning more not only about your grief but about yourself and how you sort of how you processed it? Yeah, I think so because that's the made like when you really start talking to people about grief, <laughs> you start realizing how you know multifaceted and, mm. and mirrored it is, and I think it's so important to understand like a relationship between two people is completely unique. So my relationship with my dad was completely unique and completely different from my brother's relationship to my dad. So our grief is completely different because what you're missing is that relationship. And so even within families, you know, which is so common, you have complete schisms in families because people are dealing with it in completely different ways. So, yeah, I think it's it has taught me... I mean, it's that weird thing about grief that a lot of people who've been through it sort of come to the conclusion of, like, of course, I wish it hadn't happened, but what I've learned about myself and how I've processed it and how I've dealt with it, I've tried to do it as positively as I can, and that's 
part of what the podcast is. It's providing something that wasn't there when I needed it. Like, I felt like I didn't have anyone to talk to. And I, I mean, felt culturally, we're bad at talking about death, aren't we? We're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not really, great. We're not yeah. great. I think we're getting better. Mm. But I do think it's funny, isn't it? Like, we live in this world now where everything's on the table. Like, death is still something that really, really frightens people because it's the one thing that happens to everybody. Like, you cannot, you cannot hide from it. Everyone in the world, the only thing I can guarantee to them, like, I can't say, you know, you will never be un- unhappy or you will be rich. I can say you will die or someone you love will die. And so I think everyone goes, yeah, I'd rather not think about that, <laughs> which is fair enough. But I sort of feel like, but it's going to happen. And the interesting thing I found from the show is so many people are so shocked when it happens everybody's shocked so when it shocked was actually if we talked about it more if everybody who'd lost someone shared those stories with other people and we listened perhaps you wouldn't be so shocked when someone buys a house they talk to you about it they tell you the process so when you might buy a house or you're renting you think oh i'm glad my friend jane told me that that's interesting mm. but with death we don't know so sometimes you're facing things like what hospice to go to or morphine drips or the sounds people make when they die and i've had people email me to go oh i thought that was just my dad that made that mm. i'm like no no, we're all hearing this noise and nobody we can help each other that's what I feel so passionately about the more we talk about it you can definitely help people process what is going to happen to everybody what are the things about death that you wish people knew what are the kind of you talked about there about the sounds about death about that's a the great kind of, question you know the process of it is there stuff that's kind of come along that you were like look if somebody right close to you is dying this is the thing you need to be aware of yeah, it's interesting. It's very different because there's so many ways to die. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so that's what I've discovered through the podcast. Like, obviously, my dad died of cancer. So I have an experience of what a cancer death looks like. And when I have friends who've, uh, you know, family members are sick with cancer, I, there's things I can recognise and there's things that... The big thing that comes up all the time is do not expect a Hollywood moment. It does not exist. Mostly what happens, especially if someone's dying of an illness rather than, you know, like a heart attack or a car crash or, you know, completely different illness, which takes them very suddenly. If it's a long protracted illness, often by the time you're expecting that Hollywood moment, they will probably be on so much medication they might not be able to communicate with you. And I think I have so many guests who are like, I didn't get a chance. I didn't say... You know, I was expecting this moment where they held my hand, I looked in their eyes and I was like, I love you. And they were like, I love you. Like, often they are under a lot of morphine and they're not often often saying really mad things they're tripping and so I always say on the show and a lot of my guests say it's like have those moments now talk to people now about how you feel about them before something happens and the practical admin level is the other thing people don't realize after however they've died you have to do an enormous amount of admin like it is unbelievable what happens when someone dies if you have a password that you use all the time maybe just tell one person (laughs) or just tell someone where it's written down or have a password manager app so that does all your passwords tell people where that you know your bank details are obviously people you trust i'm not suggesting you just (laughs) shout in the street yeah don't tweet it it. but so many people have said to me you know we just didn't know where that was we didn't know they had another bank account we didn't know what this is and Mm. i think if you talk about it beforehand you know the i read a book recently called um learning to die my books are cheery and um so many people don't discuss whether they want to be resuscitated Mm. and i know it's so grim i know Mm, it is but when a doctor is asking you and something terrible has happened, of course you're going to say, yes, just resuscitate, you know, instantly save them. And there's a brilliant doctor, um, oh, it's called, the book's called Being Mortal, I can't remember the name of the author, but talking about how so much medicine is trying to save people because they haven't had the chance to talk to that person and go, maybe we shouldn't 
Maybe we shouldn't mm-hmm. save them because it's not going to be what you expect. So if we had these conversations, you could confidently say, you know, you know, obviously I'm hoping no one has to do this. But if you do, you can be like, no, they don't want that. Or they do want that. They do want to be resuscitated under any circumstances. And don't worry, I know what their bank details are. <laughs> and so I can help if we need to go and get... like. It's just the information that we don't think we need to share. There's, what you said that really resonated with me with. Uh, so two things. So one about the uh, conversation about do not resuscitate. So a while ago, mm. my mum was going in for surgery and she said to me, she was like, telling, I just want you to know that if anything happens to me when I go in for surgery, I don't want to be resuscitated. And at the time I was like, well, A, you're not going to die. You'll be <laughs> fine. Um, but also I was like, I don't, there's, there's no reason for me not to resuscitate you. Mm. This is not, you are not living with a terminal illness. You are not, you know, there, you have a lot of life. And it was a really, we had a really honest conversation about yeah. why that was what she was saying, what that meant and what that meant for me. And it was really difficult, but oh, God, I'm so glad hard. we had it. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to have, like, that's what I, you know, I'm flippantly saying, hey, tell yeah. people how you want to die. But it is not easy to talk to your loved ones but the people I meet and the stories where they didn't get that chance Mm. it it's just it's so worth it it's so worth swallowing that you know slight awkwardness and thinking I just don't want to be in front of a doctor or in front of a a funeral director and having no clue because we never had that conversation Mm. also small things so I have a chat with my parents and I said what music do you want at your funeral I've written it down both of them and I've asked what they want because I thought I'm not being funny but in those moments when your brain's a bit foggy you're thinking, hmm, do they like the Beatles? Is it yes. festive bread? Do we go <laughs> Macarena? You know, um, and actually, it gives me comfort to know that everything's sort of in place. Yeah, I think mm. there's nothing... Like I said, if it was this thing that was not going to happen, of course, maybe, you know, maybe you won't win the lottery, so don't need to massively plan for it. But these, everyone is going to die. Mm. Why are we not talking about it? Like, nobody is going to get yeah. away with... And no matter how rich you are, you know, what degree you've got, one of, someone you love will die and you will die. And I think once you accept that I don't feel morbid about it I don't no. feel so I think well great now I know now we can have those conversations I think it's a freedom go ahead, yeah it is. it is it is a real freedom but the music is such a small thing you know if you don't want to have the resuscitation conversation <laughs> you can just start with oh what music would you like exactly do you want to be other things doesn't it buried or cremated mm. yeah. do you want a religious ceremony so many people the, their parents are not religious and suddenly they you know they read this will going oh, I want a Catholic funeral and they're like <laughs> what <laughs> and you think you need to know that kind of stuff yeah, like yeah, yeah making mm-hmm. wills or you know I just think there's actually a lot of stuff we could so easily prepare for that we're just too afraid to mm. my mother wants to donate her body to medical research whether or not they want it remains to be seen <laughs> can people laugh at it yeah like I know it sounds so depressing but honestly <laughs> I say to everyone, like, just listen to one episode. If it depresses you, it's fine. Just switch it off. But, like, genuinely, some of the episodes are hilarious. The episode with Adam Buxton, which is absolutely the first one, he talks about, like, you know, his dad was very sick. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. He was very old and he was at home caring for my home and like he had to lift him up with this like carer and... You know, his dad was in a lot of pain. It was really like those sounds that they make when they're in pain is very difficult. And um, then in the middle of a lift, the carer was like, Don't I? Do I know you? You've been on telly. So it's like holding his dad. Oh my gosh. And he was like, uh, And he said that weird moment of like, I didn't want to like lie, but also I didn't want to be like, Yes, actually, I'm from award winning Adam and Joe show and BBC Six Music. So there's all sorts of bizarre things that happen that I think when you have been with someone who's died, you often sort of sneakily laugh about them like mm, oh that yeah. was cool. you know the sort of gallows humor that happens and then when you talk to sort of inverted commas normal people you're like oh no we didn't we didn't laugh we were just sad all the time and I was like it's not true like we should admit that we're laughing mm. and the weird stuff that happens and the bizarre things that people say to you and just like another guy Ed Morris who's a, a producer his dad just like dropped dead at a count like a local history meeting and it was a real, it like kind of came out of nowhere and it was very shocking and stuff. And um, the people who ran the meeting were very sweet and helped, called an ambulance, tried to do everything. And they wrote to him a couple of weeks later and they were like, we want you to know we did stop the meeting. <laughs> he was like... Good, because I'd been worried about Yeah, that. he was like, one, yeah, I don't really care. And two, how could you have, how could you have carried on with the local That's history right. of Portsmouth yeah. after... Where were we? Yeah. Guns. But he oh was like gosh. so English that he, they had to say. We're very <laughs> sorry for loss. But please also. No, we didn't carry on with the fascinating brass money collection that someone had bought in. <laughs> so all this weird stuff happens that is sort of, I don't know, It's the laughter from it is not like, we're not laughing at death, we're not mm. laughing at those people. It's just the it's kind definitely of... definitely how we cope, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just yeah. coping. And it's normal, just, it's normal. Yeah. yeah, and I think so many people... So I get so many emails from listeners going, oh, I didn't know other people were like, you know, laughing at these weird things that happened or that nurses said, and mm. I felt so guilty. And I think, no, don't feel bad, we you, you have to survive. And grief is, it's awful. Like, there's no getaway, yeah. but it's really horrible. And so if you, I always say, if you can find one glimmer of joy or pearl amongst the map, then great. Because that laughter laughs like tens, lasts 10 seconds and then you're back in the world of, oh, I'm in pain. This is really hard. This is awful. So yeah, God, enjoy those moments. There was, um, when my aunt was dying, she was in a coma for quite a long time before she died. And her daughter had, a couple of years previously, borrowed her car and crashed it and written it off. Um, but they, everyone had been told, you know, she's in a coma, but just come in and talk to her normally as you would. Mm. And her daughter came in and she said to her, uh, Mum, I just want you to know, um, I am going to need to borrow your car, so I just want to check that's OK with you and then I'll go and pick up the keys. And my aunt, who was in a coma, yeah. sat bolt upright and no. went, no, you well, cannot, and went back down again. 
And that was it. That was That's like, amazing. And I love stuff like that. Yeah. That's incredible. And the thing is, obviously when she died, it was awful, but there was this moment that we now all have that we remember yeah. her for, which we felt like defined her spirit. Yeah, I think I that's that. such a good phrase. Like, it, it, it's defining of someone's personality because yeah. someone is dying or mm. dead. It doesn't mean that they stop being them. You know, you can still remember them. And if they laughed at stuff like that and, and said funny yeah. things or, you know, had a personality, that doesn't... What we try and stop in the show is this sort of, like, canonization of the dead. Absolutely. Of like, they oh were perfect. Yeah, yeah. They were wonderful. Because I find that's really hard for people grieving where you're yeah. like, um, they weren't. They were human. Mm. And, like, my dad, you know, we didn't have the world's greatest relationship at all. And I think sometimes people think I do the show because, like, I miss my daddy. No, it was, like, it was complicated. Mm. And I found it really weird when, after he died, people were like, your father, you know, what a wonderful man. I was like, hmm... So he was good. Like, he's not saying he was a bad person, but like, there's definitely flaws there. And that our relationship was really tempestuous, and I'd like to remember it as it was. Yeah, it's really, my grandma was a stay at home hypochondriac, and um, <laughs> I did her eulogy. And I stood up and I said, um, I remember, you know, when she told me she was going to die, I was very scared. Uh, the first time because I was four <laughs> and uh, literally it was every year and she died at a ripe old age like nearly in her 90s outlived wow. everybody but yeah Amazing. it was that it's, but it's that humour and it's that validation that actually they're real people yes. isn't it and we're all flawed and we're all brilliant and we're all perfect and we're yeah. all you know yeah yeah I think the more you remove their personality the harder it is to grieve them because you're not mm. grieving that person that's a good point yeah. yeah you're sort of grieving a weird version of I've it I've never even thought of that that's really good yeah. yeah, and you have to, if you grieve the, the person you're actually missing, who may have, you know, you might, I have people who haven't spoken to their parents for 15 years and then they die. Like, you have to grieve what's what's happened, the truth. And that's what I'm, I'm obsessed with on the show. It's like, what is the truth of that situation? How did you really feel? Because once you hit that, you can start to mm. process it. You don't get over it. It's not something you just magically disappear and stop thinking about ever, which is another thing I think if you're not in the club, you, you think, oh, I guess mm. they just get over it. Like, yeah. no, you don't. But you can learn to, live and manage your life and be sad some days and still be happy those things can exist together how do you handle people on the show because you're asking them to talk about <laughs> yes. you know you're talking about a potentially traumatic subject yeah, yeah. and like you said you really want to get to the truth of it how prepared are your guests for that do you think? i think it's a lot easier now there's episodes to listen yeah. to like at the beginning I think it was hard when I hadn't even put any out. I just would speak. They were like, you want me to what? <laughs> I was like, talk about your dead relatives. So I think what's helpful is because of what happened to me, I always just think, how would I want to be asked? How would I want to be treated? Like just the tiniest things of like, well, I would feel funny if they spoke about it flippantly or I would mm -hmm. feel funny if they forgot their name. And we try on the show, I always ask the name of the person and we always talk about, use that name because that's the thing that happens when people die. They stop saying the name or like they're like, yeah. you're mum like really oh I don't want to mention your mum because she's dead like it's so nice to just say people's names and just remember like keep them alive in that room just for an hour it just feels like yeah it's sort of it's oddly spiritual even that you know I'm not saying like they they come down to that room but you just feel like you're celebrating their personality and their spirit for that hour mm. but yeah it's it's hard I guess the thing is I always accept is once they've agreed to come on the show they sort of know what they're getting into and I, honestly, I wouldn't have a show if society was better at talking about it. Yeah. These people often are so grateful. Like They're like, mm. oh, I haven't been able to speak about mm. my mum or my child or my brother f for five years, six years, ten years, because everyone's really awkward about it. So they often say afterwards, oh, it was just so nice to talk about them for an hour and not mm. feel like, oh, I'm really bumming everyone out <laughs> like, yeah. talking about my dead relative. It's like a place where 
You can absolutely talk about this dead person for ages and I'm never going to go. Oh, anyway, like kind of really depressing me. It's just somewhere I'm like, yeah, great. Let's tell me more about them. What would you like to see happen with the podcast now? Because it's obviously been this huge success. Uh, you won a British podcast towards her, right? yes. I did, yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you've had tens of thousands of downloads. And where would where do you want to take it? Where do you think it goes from here? I don't know. Like, I never expected it to, like, yeah, hit the millions of downloads or yeah. win awards or... I never expected that. I honestly thought maybe 10 people will listen and then, you know, when you have an idea that won't go away. So I was like, if I just do it, then I've done it. I can stop thinking about it. So I just feel really grateful that I have a space to talk about it. Like, and I'll talk about it for as long as it works for me. And I just, yeah, I don't don't really think about things. I just do them. (laughs) And the emails I get just really... It just makes me realise I grew up where we talked about stuff a lot and we talked about my dad a lot and the process. We all talked about it all the time. And I get emails from people who genuinely say, I thought I was having a mental breakdown because I didn't know what grief was because I've never spoken to anyone about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, a guy who was like, I've never even told my wife how my parents died. I've never even spoken about it. And listening to this, you know, they'll be like, oh, I thought I was completely mad, but I realised, oh, I'm just grieving. Mm-hmm. So I just want more people to realise, like, you're not mad, you're not crazy. It's just grief. Everybody goes through it. Nobody is talking about it. This is so crazy. If everybody just was really honest and was like, oh, I'm just having a bad day. Oh, why? Well, my dad died 10 years ago today, so just feeling really sad. If that was a mm. fine thing to say, yeah. so many people would feel lighter. They'd come into work and be like, oh, that's good. I got to talk. Mm. Everyone knows to give me a bit of space today and like, yeah. don't give me hassle for not replying to the email because I'm remembering someone who's dead mm. rather yeah. than being like, oh, oh my god what do I say they've just said their dad like it's fine you don't have to say anything it's not your job I just want to share it with you you don't have to make it better you can't make it better what do you wish everyone knew about grief I really wish people realized that it isn't get overable I really wish people realized that uh, I've had so many guests say to me like oh my friends are saying like well I should maybe like move on to it's been a few years it's been a few years like that makes me want to blow my top like what the uh, what the mm, because if you had a, you know, if you have a child and you're talking about that child and they're four years old, no one's like, they're four years old. Stop going on about Get it. Get over it. No one. Yeah. <laughs> if you mention your mum, people are like, yeah, I know you've got a mum. You've had your mum your whole life. Why are you still telling me stories about? It? Like we don't do that. So why is it weird that years later someone is still thinking about their dad, dead dad, their dad, or their brother, or their sister, or their cousin, or their friend? That person meant something to them. They are not going to get over it. They will learn to live with it. They will be. Uh, you know, happier in a way that they're not at the beginning. Like the first few years obviously are really difficult. But there's never going to be a time where they're like, oh yeah, I'm fine. Oh yeah, my dad died. Totally cool. Not a problem. Don't feel sad about it. Like you have to accept people will deal with this for the rest of their lives. Karen, thank you so much for coming in. Sorry for ranting about death. No, I love it. Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you so much for ranting about death and changing the conversation about it and giving people tools. Hopefully, hopefully that's the go. Can we listen again, Karen, to your podcast? Where can we find it? Uh, You can find it on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from. I think it's on Spotify as well. Yeah, if you just just type in Griefcast, you'll find it. And it's on Twitter and Instagram at the Griefcast where we share a lot of resources where people like ask what to do on anniversaries and everyone's really supportive. So I'd recommend looking at that as well. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to it, I mean, I and I just, it is such a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful listen and celebration of humanity and how we deal with it in the best and worst situations. Oh, thank so, you. Thank you for doing it. Griefcast, go check it out. That was Carrie Ann Lloyd and Amanda Prowse. 
Now, each week I ask a listener to send me a question and I will give you some advice. And I really love it when you send me the questions that you feel you can't really ask your friends or family that you feel kind of a bit embarrassed about asking. So I'm going to try and be really kind to this listener. And I hope that you do too, because I think a lot of people are in this situation right now. It's about getting a dog during lockdown. Here is what they say. I'd wanted a dog for years and like lots of other people, when lockdown happened, I decided to take the plunge and get a puppy. My other half worked from home a few days a week before lockdown anyway, and my company say that we won't be going back to the office full time. So I think between the two of us, we should be around most of the time, but I'm still worried I've made a mistake. I know everyone says this, but puppies are a lot of work and I sometimes find myself wishing we got an older dog instead. I'm also worried that when I do go back to work, she's going to miss me. She's very clingy and really prefers me to my boyfriend. I'm not sure how they're going to cope without. Also, there are going to be days where we have to leave her. I'm trying to get her used to going out with a dog walker on those days, but she hates it and won't go with them. Have I made a huge mistake and what can I do? This is a tricky one for me because I have had some strong feelings about the number of puppies that have been bought during lockdown. So the CEO of the Dogs Trust released a report a few weeks ago where he said that they expect next year to have to rehome 40,000 dogs because we've had such a boom in puppy buying this year in a period where, and I have absolute understanding for anyone who has got a dog this year, by the way, because it's been lonely, we've needed some comfort and dogs are amazing for that. But because we've had such a boom in puppy buying, people haven't really thought about how those puppies fit into their whole life. Because if you, particularly if you're working in an office regularly, most offices, certainly here in London, literally have clauses which say animals cannot come into the building. Now, I suspect that's going to be something that changes, but it means that even if you want to take your animal into the building, you can't. Also, if you have a small puppy, you probably know by now that puppies don't really like to sleep a lot. That's a lie. We tell people that puppies sleep all the time. Sometimes they do, but also sometimes they run around like maniacs with loads of energy, wanting to get into everything, getting completely overexcited and overstimulated by everything. And if you've had a puppy during lockdown, then you probably haven't been able to do some of that puppy socializing that is more common. So your puppy probably hasn't met as many people as it would have done. It probably hasn't met as many other dogs, hasn't been to as many different places. Not your fault at all but you've been in lockdown. So you haven't been able to take it to meet people or see different things. So when you do start taking it out and about, it's going to be very, very excited. I guess I want to give you some advice from one dog owner to another. And then, well, yeah, let's take some advice from one dog owner to another. So this is the thing that I tell everyone I know when they are getting a dog. When I got my dog, so I adopted her from a family who'd had her for since she was a puppy and their circumstances had changed, which meant they couldn't keep her any longer. And so she came to me and I literally was given her and then that was it. And I thought I had done my research. I thought I'd thoroughly researched what having a dog would be like. I thought that I understood everything about having a dog. I'd grown up with dogs. So I thought I knew that's such a mistake to make just because you grew up with a dog. It turns out your parents really did do everything for that dog. So I sort of thought that I was prepared and I really wasn't. And some things that I found really challenging is I found it really challenging that she wanted to be with me all the time because obviously she did because she was in a completely new situation, didn't know anyone, was terrified and I was her only source of comfort. And I found it really hard. At one point I literally locked myself in the bathroom And also I found it really worrying that probably for about the first week, I spent the first week thinking, can I give her back? 
I've made a mistake. Can I give her back? Is there any way that I can give this dog back without kind of shaming myself or proving my mother right? And eventually I said this to a friend of mine who also had a dog. And she said, don't worry, everyone feels like that. And they don't tell you that. And I wonder if this is a little bit like with babies. Um, mothers, feel free to tell me, like, have you had days where you're just like, please, can somebody take my baby back? I don't, I don't know where it would go back, but like, you know, can you take my baby out? This is a mistake. I would like to send it back. That that is normal. That is a part of you which is going to kind of essentially grieve your old life because your new life is not the same as the one you had before. And I think for you now, you need to start really thinking about, okay, what's the stuff from like my pre-dog life that is a non-negotiable for me that I want to keep? What's the stuff from my dog life that is non-negotiable that I want to keep? And what's the stuff that's going to happen in the future that I'm going to have to work around? And start understanding all of that. So examples are like, you know, if you know you want to go on a night out with your friends and your boyfriend's going to, who's going to look after the dog? You know, we can leave dogs for kind of up to four or five hours. But after that, actually, they're really, they're really lonely and they're scared and particularly for puppies. So can you find a neighbor who's going to puppy sit? Can you uh, get your parents involved? Um, can you find a local doggy daycare company where she can go with lots of other dogs? All of these things. Start investigating the options because it turns out that much like having a baby, raising a dog requires a village. So bring that village together to help you look after your dog. And finally, know that, yes, it might turn out that having a dog changes your life and is really hard. And I'm not saying that you should try and stick with a dog when you don't want to or if it's not the best thing for that dog. But as an adult, you made this decision. And part of being an adult is making decisions that turn out to be hard and working our way through them. So I'm saying to you now, this is your chance to really own yourself as an adult and to say, who is it that I want to be in my adult life? And if you want to be somebody who keeps their word, if you want to be somebody who understands about commitment and understands about caring for others, particularly those who can't care for themselves, then this is your moment to step up and be that person. So look at what those non-negotiables are. Think about some ways you can bring other people in to help you and realize that your puppy is young and scared and they are going to be a load of work at least for two years minimum, but they will give you so much love. And if you want to be the person that a good dog owning responsible person is, this is your opportunity to show that. That is my little uh, sermon on dog owning. It is life-changing, but please, please don't do it unless you know you can. It's just those 40,000 dogs that are due to be rehomed next year is horrifying to me. And this is also a good time to think about, could you foster a dog rather than just buying one? You know, go foster some of those dogs that are going to need a new home next year and see the impact it has on your life. And then see if you want to do it full-time. Anyway, here ends the lecture. Please feel free to go to my Instagram for pics of my dog. So that's all from me this week. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. If you have, please do rate, review, subscribe. It really helps other people find this. And then we can share all the dog wisdom and no puppies will ever go homeless again. And if you want to talk to me during the week or if you just want to see pictures of Blue, you can come and find me on all the social media at Harriet Minter. You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour 
or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating five stars please it helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us we'll be back next week with more badass guests and in-depth chat hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.